so uh, seeing me up here maybe could prompt you to just say a little prayer for uh, David, Kenny, because uh, he was scheduled to speak tonight and he's all sick. Uh, so here I am. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, welcome, it's great to to see you guys. (laughs) And uh, tonight we're uh, continuing a series that uh, Chris kicked off last week, uh, looking at the parables of Jesus uh, from the New Testament. Tonight we're going to look at two really short parables. Um, You know, in his teaching, one of the things that Jesus did uh, consistently was to tell stories. And uh, people love stories, of course, and and that was one of the ways that he uh, would draw people uh, to hear his message. But also the the stories that he told enabled him to introduce concepts in kind of a roundabout way, uh, often concepts that people uh, might not want to have heard about otherwise, Um, things that people might have dismissed if he just come at them straightforward. And and so the parables are, are always challenging us to think about something, maybe in a way that's new or different. Um, and as Jesus does that, he's, he's actually seeking to persuade us to a different way of seeing. Um, and so many of the parables are designed to capture the listener and to even draw us into this story. And I think Chris did a good job last week of showing uh, how the story can both draw us in and then challenge our way of seeing, uh, sometimes dramatically, and even call us uh, to rethink our, our most basic values and convictions. So the two parables that we're going to look at tonight, uh, I think are going to do that for us as well. And these are, in Matthew chapter 13, they're part of a uh, larger grouping of uh Jesus' parables uh, that are sometimes referred to as parables of the kingdom, and you'll see that um, in in these two. But uh, if you have a Bible, or we have the text behind me on the screen uh, from Matthew chapter 13. So uh, listen as uh, I read uh, the Word of God. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure that was hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought. This is God's word. Uh, Lord, we pray that you will help us to understand, to hear, to believe, and to obey your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So Jesus doesn't explain these parables, uh, and uh, he doesn't always do that, but most understand, and it seems kind of straightforward, the kingdom of heaven is like, it's like a treasure, it's like a merchant who finds uh, one pearl, of great value. He's comparing the kingdom of heaven, and and I think we can understand that he's using in in Matthew's gospel that word heaven. Uh, In the other gospels, usually we see the kingdom of God 
and that's the term I'm going to be using tonight. Those are synonymous expressions. Jesus is comparing the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, to a treasure or, or to a pearl, and what he seems to be saying is rather straightforward, right? Uh, that the kingdom of God is so valuable that it is worth sacrificing or giving anything and everything in order to gain it. The kingdom of God is so valuable that it's worth giving anything and everything to gain it. And that's the question that we're going to sort of hopefully begin to ponder uh, tonight. But it might be helpful. I know for me, I see that expression, we use that expression all the time, the kingdom of God, or we talk about doing kingdom work and, um, uh, and that kind of thing, but maybe we don't really know quite what we're talking about when we use that language. And so briefly, what is the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of God? It's a big question uh, that we're just going to cover really quickly, but let me suggest to you that there are minimally five elements that, we, that help us understand what does Jesus mean when he talks about the kingdom of God? Well, first of all, in Scripture, the kingdom of God, a kingdom, has a king. Um, okay? Um, and the, in the kingdom of God, the king is God. Uh, okay? And the king also, though, comes to be identified uh, very clearly in the New Testament as Jesus, the Son of God. Um, so there, there is a king, uh, and what does a king do? A king rules. Uh, and the, the rule of God as, as king is shown uh, in a variety of ways throughout Scripture, but let me just tick off three ways really quickly. First, that God's kingly rule over all things is seen in the fact that he's the creator of all things. Um, and in that sense, he is the, the ruler over all things. But then a great deal of the focus of Scripture is upon God as a king who redeems, uh, who delivers. Um, and that's where the focus in the Old Testament, God delivering his people out of uh, the, the bondage, the oppression of slavery, and bringing them into a land that he promised to them. And in the New Testament, his son Jesus uh, delivering people out of bondage to sin, and to slavery, and to death bringing them in to new life, the new life of the kingdom. And, and so the king is, is manifested in the ruling work of redeeming. And then as the one who had, is both creator and redeemer, uh, the king rules as lord over those who uh, acknowledge him as king. And so Jesus, we find, is exalted as, as, as king, especially in his death and in his resurrection, um, uh, you think about what Paul says in Philippians, that Jesus, because he humbled himself even to the point of death, God raised him from the dead and exalted him uh, above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So by, by triumphing over sin, over death, over evil, over Satan, Jesus has shown himself to be the rightful, the worthy king. Uh, and then third, a kingdom has a people, right? Uh, subjects, citizens uh, of, of the kingdom. 
And in, in the biblical way of thinking, these are those who have been redeemed uh, out of bondage, out of slavery, uh, redeemed by the king, and who have come under the lordship of the good king, the savior king, uh, and who acknowledge him as lord. And then fourth, a kingdom has laws. Uh, and, and for its citizens. So in the Old Testament, we think particularly of the Mosaic law, the, the laws that were given to the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. In the New Testament, uh, we might think particularly, but not exclusively, of the, the teachings of Christ, which uh, James, in his little letter, he describes the teachings of Christ. He, he uses kingly language. He says this is the royal law. Uh, why is it royal? It's because Jesus is the king. And then fifthly, the kingdom of God involves uh, a realm. Um, and we might typically think of this in, in sort of human terms, in terms of a geopolitical realm, you know, like a state that has boundaries that may be more or less permeable, depending on whether or not there's a wall around. <laughs> uh, so, uh, a realm uh, that has some sort of borders. The kingdom of God encompasses ultimately what? All of creation, because God is, is Lord of all. But we also find that the kingdom of God, in, in a sense, not every person in creation is uh, a member of, not every person in creation enters into the kingdom of God because not every person acknowledges God, uh, not every person acknowledges Jesus as the good king, as the redeemer and the savior. So when Jesus says that the kingdom of God is of uh, su such great worth, uh, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about... Uh, not only God in his person, but God in his work, God in what he has done for us, God in what he invites us into. The kingdom of God is of supreme worth. And, you know, the scripture indicates as well that all of us are inescapably members of one kingdom or, or another. And, and so part of the good news of Christianity, of the gospel, uh, is captured in a verse like this from Colossians chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul says, He, that is God, has delivered us from the domain, there's kingly language, the dominion of darkness, and has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And so God has wondrously acted in the present age, sending his son, he's invaded human history, he has triumphed over the powers of evil, he has provided forgiveness of sins, he has provided rescue, and he offers entrance into his kingdom as, as the good king to all who will welcome him. And Jesus is here teaching us that those who have the eyes to see and who have ears to hear this is good news. This is of supreme value. It's something that, 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 that elicits great joy. You know, if we put the text back up there, great joy for uh, the ones who discover it. It's something in both of these stories that is 
is, is appreciated as being so uh, valuable, so precious, so wonderful that, that they're, they're prepared to sell everything they have in order to enjoy it. It's something that is indescribably wonderful, um, something worth seeking after. I love that image of, of, the, of the merchant who is seeking fine pearls, and finally he says, wow, I never thought there could be a pearl such as this that would surpass in value everything else that I've ever seen. And this is what Jesus is telling us is the kingdom of God. So in just a few minutes then, I want us to, to think about this in terms of ourselves. Because these two stories are challenging us, first of all, that they're challenging us to ask ourselves. I, I don't think you can read these by saying, without saying, is the kingdom of heaven of supreme worth to me? And that's, that's where I, I want to spend some time challenging us tonight. I mean, what do you treasure, really? You know, not your Sunday school answer. <laughs> what, what do you really treasure? What do you really value uh, supremely? And I, I don't think we always know the answer. I think we often think we know the answer. Um, but often our values are unconsciously held and they're not examined. And so I, I think often uh, a lot of Christian people might readily affirm uh, we were just singing songs uh, about how we value Jesus, how we love him. Uh, and we might affirm those things, but then when, when it comes to the way we live, moment by moment, day by day, throughout the week, what does that tell us about what we value supremely? Uh, you know, one, one clue, and I, I want us to think about this, is, is uh, you know, one clue is, might be to say, where does my imagination take me routinely? Where does my energy get devoted routinely? Where does my time go routinely? What excites me? What, what am I putting my effort into pursuing? What is precious to me? What, what makes me angry? What makes me fearful? And often, if you were to, which I encourage us all to do, if you were to sit down and write down those questions and write honest answers to them, many of us would find, oh, it's not Jesus that I'm pursuing. It's not the kingdom. So many of us, I think the reality is, is that we, we, aff we affirm Jesus as Lord, uh, and in that sense we belong to his kingdom, but, but we also are, are living with one foot in the other. Another clue is, is to say this, what am I willing to sacrifice? You see the way they sell all, sold all, in order to gain this. What am I willing to give up? For Jesus, I, I don't. I I really don't like uh, making people feel guilty. I, not just because I'm a nice guy, you know. Like, <laughs> but I, I don't think that's a, that's not a, a great way to motivate or to teach people. So that's not my goal. But you know, one of the things that that we we might see is uh, the way students will prioritize things in their schedule. And so they've got, you know, the classwork, and they've got the teams, and they've got their 
theater, and they've got, oh, they've got a PF small group Bible study. PCF. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I said PCF. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I want to be really careful here because you, you guys have to make choices about your priorities, but, you know, why is that the one that, oh, if i got to cut something out this week? You know, maybe you've got a really good reason to do that, but maybe that's a clue uh, that you need to think about. What am I willing to sacrifice? Uh, I found this quote uh, that some of you may have heard before. It's in a little book on Philippians. Uh, it's not from Philippians, a little book on Philippians. Uh, here's the quote. I would like to buy about $3 worth of gospel, please. Not too much. Just enough to make me happy. I don't want so much gospel that I learn to really hate coveting or lust. I certainly don't want so much that I have to start loving my enemies, that I have to engage in self-denial, that I have to maybe think about uh, serving God in another culture. I want ecstasy, not repentance. I want transcendence. I don't want transformation. I would like to be cherished by some nice, forgiving, broad-minded people. But I don't really want to love people who are different from me. I would like enough gospel to make my family secure and my children well-behaved, but not so much that I find my ambitions redirected or my giving too greatly enlarged. I'd like about $3 worth of gospel, please. And you know what? Jesus is telling us that the value of the kingdom, it's worth so much more than $3. It is so wonderful, he says, that it is worth anything that you could give in order to gain. And he's not saying, don't take away from this, and he's saying, oh, the kingdom of God is for sale. That's, that's not his point at all. That's, it couldn't be further from the point. The, the offer of the kingdom is free. The, the, the Redeemer King has, has come in to, to provide rescue, and he's saying, I'm here to rescue you from perishing and from all that is fleeting and going to vanish. You can't do anything to purchase your way into this kingdom. It is a gift. But he is saying, this is worth more than anything else. And, you know, so I... You know, if, if you'd write this down, Jesus is worth more to me than. So what can you put in that blank? You know, if you go back to your room tonight with that, just that phrase, Jesus is worth to me more than. What can you put in that blank? Can you put anything there? Can you, can you put everything there? You know, I think for many of us, it's a time that we live in, uh, and this has always been true, but maybe more so in our time and culture, when we find it very difficult to imagine that it might be a good thing to put my hope in Jesus and in the kingdom of God more than to put my hope in what I can see and touch and, and grasp now and in the 
present. I think for many of us, we find it difficult to say it is worth more to not fulfill all of my sexual desires now. It is worth more to me. I am willing, in other words, to say, yes, I have these desires, but it is worth more to me to be in the kingdom of the good king and to be living my life faithfully for him. In other words, the ethics of the kingdom are more precious to me than the ethics of the world. John Calvin, uh, at the time of the Reformation, French theologian, he said, these parables are intended to instruct believers, <laughs> I love the subtlety of this, to prefer the kingdom. To instruct believers to prefer the kingdom of heaven to the whole world. And, and therefore, because, because we see, maybe we see, oh, this is good. This, this looks good to me, but I see that this is better. This may be good, but I see that this is better, and because this is better, I'm willing to say, I don't need what is good, because I have something that is better. And that is Jesus Christ. That is the kingdom of God. And, and, and that is what can enable us to begin to to understand why it might be worthwhile to deny myself, to deny some of my desires, uh, because I don't want anything to, to keep me from this greater present possession. And Calvin says we are greatly in need of such a warning because we are so easily captivated by the allurements of the world. See, the voices are never going to stop speaking into your ear. And if you're, if you're not persuaded that Jesus is worth it, those other voices are always calling to you. They're always trying to persuade you. And so we need to, to remind ourselves, no, it is worth it to set my hope completely upon Jesus. Because the grace of God that he is holding out for us, the offer of being part of his family, part of his kingdom, is, is so much better. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's what the Apostle Paul discovered. In Philippians 3, some of you know this passage, he, he goes through all the things that he might have relied upon in terms of his reputation, his education, his status, his privilege, and he says, whatever things were gained to me, those things, I, I now consider them, he says, as a loss. I consider them as rubbish. I consider them as, as, as manure in view by comparison of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. And you know, I, I know not everybody in the room tonight is sure that he is, he is worth it. But I at least hope that everybody tonight might engage in an exercise of asking themselves, what is of supreme worth to me tonight? I can't say for sure what it would take to persuade you that Jesus is of supreme worth. 
Certainly, one of these individuals discovered Jesus without even looking for it, the treasure. The other is out looking and is seeking. I, I don't know how, how Jesus might work in your individual life, but I do want you to know something. Is that Tonight, everyone in this room, Jesus is speaking and he is saying the kingdom of God is worth more than anything. That's not Bill saying that. That is, that is Jesus, the good king, is saying that to you. And he's saying, come into my kingdom. It's worth it. The second and final thing, just as we wrap up, is that as citizens of the kingdom, I think one of the implications is that, is that we, have, we have a calling as citizens and in the first place, I've already alluded to that, that our calling is, if a kingdom has, has, uh, has a law, it has standards, part of our calling is to live as citizens of the kingdom, even though right now we're in an alien landscape. But um, we don't take our marching orders from our culture. We take our orders from our king. And so Jesus is calling us now to live as citizens of his kingdom in the midst of a culture that doesn't acknowledge him as king, and, and he's calling us to reflect his values, to live according to, to his ethics, and, and to be busy about what he says is important. And that's always going to be, always going to be challenging the values that, are, that the other voices are, are speaking into our hearts and into our but this is what we pray we talked about the Lord's Spirit thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven we are praying that the kingdom in all of its fullness will come to fruition and, and part of what we are called to do is to be citizens now and to be working toward that end and the fuel for this is Jesus himself he is the good king but then secondly and finally we, we if, if you have heard and you have believed, if, if you have found this pearl, if you have found this treasure, so many in the world have not discovered this. And we, we know that there are these two kingdoms. There's a dominion of darkness and there's the kingdom of, of light, of his son. And I, I don't think we can look at this passage tonight without asking ourselves, what are we doing to, to, to be agents of the king in delivering people out of the dominion of darkness. What are we doing? And the motivation for that is the, is the motivation that motivated God to rescue us is love. If we're going to be people who love, how can we not be people who are seeking to say, I have discovered a pearl, I have discovered a treasure of supreme value. God in his mercy has revealed these things to you. You have this treasure. Are you telling others where to find it? You know, we sang that song, What a Beautiful Name It Is. It's a beautiful song. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a wonderful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. We sang that a few minutes ago.
God gave us grace to believe it, to embrace it, and to live it. That's right. Father, we thank you for these parables that search our hearts because we know that our hearts are often confused. They're often blinded and we understand that we can be deceived. And that our hearts are often divided. We have rival loves, rival affections. Father, we acknowledge that uh, to you tonight. I pray for anyone here tonight who is not sure that the kingdom of God is of supreme worth. Father, I pray that you would challenge uh, our hearts in that regard. Is what we're putting our hope in, is, is what we are assigning supreme worth to really able to bear that hope? Father, for those of us tonight who would say, yes, I do believe it is of supreme worth, but we find ourselves also living with one foot in another kingdom. Oh Lord, I pray that you would show all of us again tonight the beauty of Christ, the wonder of Christ, and the worthiness of Christ. Then we would fix our hope, our love, our joy, our passion upon Him. And I pray, Lord, that we would be eager to tell others also. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.